0: sunday your indentured servants would be allowed to go home to their mother church so mother's day is originally a holiday to go back to the church that you grew up in that your family was in Um, which is quite appropriate one of my favorite quotes from church history is from a guy called uh, cyprian of carthage uh, in two or three hundred a.d uh, and he said you cannot have god for father if you don't have church for mother Uh, which is is a beautiful line. Uh, it, It is, of course, an exaggeration, but the point is, if God is your Father, then this church is like a mother to you. We are here to care for each other, to look after each other, to encourage each other in our walk with God. Why don't we pray? Sounds like a storm. Lord, thank you so much that you love us and that you're good to us and kind to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to understand what you say to us, that you would speak to us and challenge us and that you would help us to become more the people that you want us to be. Lord, there are so many challenges upon our lives which call us to try and prove ourselves to you. And there are so many ways, God, that we find... That whenever we do try and prove ourselves to you, we fall flat on our face. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are always there for us. Amen. So we're busy looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. Some of you might remember we've been doing this for a while, and we've still got quite a way to go through this. Um, we're We're busy breaking Galatians up. Uh, as we go through the year. Uh, But now we're coming to, uh, we're in the middle of the heart of Paul's argument. So remember in Galatia there was a bit of a, a dangerous teaching cropping up saying that if you really want to be right with God, if you want to be in God's good books, then you need Jesus, you need to be forgiven, yes, but you need to do something extra as well. Saying that, that Jesus is all well and good, but God's not really happy with you unless you also. Or, or perhaps saying, Jesus is good, he's saved you, he's forgiven you, fantastic, but now you have to do this as well so that you stay in God's good books. And, and this is a dangerous teaching. Paul pulls no punches in his writing to the Galatians. He's, he, he basically turns to them and says, This is rubbish. In fact, he he has some very harsh words uh, for the people, which we'll read in coming weeks. But in Galatia, the the thing that they said you had to do as well was to obey the Old Testament laws. Basically, they said, if you want to really be good with God, you have to be forgiven by Jesus and then essentially become a Jew. For us today, the, the pluses that we try and add on to Jesus are usually different. And if you've heard any of these sermons, this is, this is what I say every time. We, we add different things to Jesus as check marks to prove that we are good enough for God. Even something as simple as, well, I come to church every Sunday. Because if I don't come to church, well, then I'm not good enough for God. Or I go to Bible study, or I read my Bible for three hours a day, or I do not dance. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Dancing in church, oh. There was a time when that was definitely one of those pluses. If you dance in church, you are not right with God. You are evil. And we today look at that and go, yeah, what ridiculous people they were. But the problem is is that every generation has things that we put in place where we try and say, Jesus is all that you need, oh, except you also need this. And Paul wants none of that. He's already argued from experience to the Galatians in chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 that that what you need, that, that if God's Spirit is living in you, if God's Spirit is active in the church, then clearly God is happy with you. And if God is happy with you, why are you trying to make God happy with you? As in if God is hanging out with you, you don't need to make God want to hang out with you. He's already doing it. He's gone on. He argued in chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, all about um, Abraham, um, who, who was made right with God. God said, Abraham, you and I are good because you trust me, Abraham. Because you trust me, I will count you as righteous, as good, as justified, as made okay with me. Abraham is a really important a person for us to understand as Christians because in some sense the whole of God's plan to rescue and save us starts with Abraham. Abraham is a man to whom God made great promises. Uh, it starts in, in Genesis chapter twelve. But it comes in the context of a world which has totally lost sight of God. That's the point of chapter 11 of Genesis, the story of the Tower of Babel and, and all of, of the people being distributed. And, and the, in, in Genesis 11, they're trying to find a way to reach God. And God comes down and has a laugh at them and, you know, disperses them everywhere. But, but the point of Genesis 1 to 11 is how we as humans don't know anything about who God is. And we're so fallen away from God, we've messed up the world, we've messed up ourselves, we are broken people. And then into that context, God arrives and comes to to Abraham, or Abram as he was at that stage, and says, Abraham, go where I'm going to send you to go. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. Have a read Genesis chapter 12 and, and Genesis chapter 15. Again, God promises some stuff to Abraham. God's whole plan to Abraham right from the beginning is, Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed through you. It's back. How really odd. Um, I'm going to rescue people from how messed up they are, Abraham. I promise you, Abraham, I am going to do it. And the amazing thing is that that God promises it and Abraham believes God and it's because Abraham believes God that God says, okay, Abraham, you and I are good because you trust me. Boy, it's a day of noises today, isn't it? It is Robin's phone. It's a good song. We could all sing along. One of the great things about having a written will uh, is, is when you die, what you want is clear for everyone to see. You know, It's, it's one of those typical uh, scenes in a movie, quite often move, murder movies or Agatha Christie kind of things, where someone has died and there's a debate about what they really would have wanted. Or what they really meant. And sometimes there's people who come in and say, well here's the will, but let's change the will just ever so slightly. Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's add something in here. Because really, even though great Aunt Patricia says that she wants all of her money to go to her beloved cat, I know that she really wanted it to go to me. She told me so, I think. Maybe. But let's say so. You look at that and you go, I'm, I'm sorry, your Aunt Patricia sounds like a bit of a loony, but her will is pretty clear. A will is final. Once it's gone into effect, that's it. And the problem is, says Paul, when he looks at the Jesus Plus crowd in Galatia, is that what they are trying to do is to look at God's will, what God wants, what God has promised, God's contract with humanity through Abraham, and they're trying to come along and say, oh, that's very good, but let's just tweak it a little bit. Let's just modify it a little bit. Let's take this contract and we'll put a codicil in and say, oh, and you also have to do this. But you cannot change a contract once the contract has gone into action. And God's will has clearly been spelled out right from the start with Abraham. When God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to do all sorts of things for you. Do you know what the amazing thing about that contract is, is that it's all about what God does. God says, "I'm I'm going to do this. 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 And Abraham says, I believe you. That's the contract. You cannot then later come in and say, oh, and and, and you also have to do this in order for God to do what He's promised to do, even though He promised it originally with no strings attached, in black and white, it's clear, it's obvious, that's what happened historically. Genesis 15 verse 6 says that God counted Abraham as righteous because of his faith, because he trusted God. But, but now the crowd in Galatia was saying that if you want to be a real Christian, you also have to obey the laws of Moses. Laws, which came about at least 430 years later. In fact, it's actually a bit longer than 430 years. 430 years is the amount of time that Israel spent in Egypt. You've also got a few generations before then. So it's a long time later. They're trying to say you have to do that as well. Even though Abraham was declared to be right with God before those laws even existed. They're trying to change the contract. But God's blessing, life with God, being right with God, has always been about trusting him. And you look at that and you go, okay, that, that sounds fantastic. So what you're trying to say, Nick, is that if we want to understand what God wants of us, we have to go right back to the start. Right back to the beginning where God said, I'm going to do some stuff. Are you going to trust me? And we say, yes, we're going to trust you, God. And God says, excellent, o you and I are good. Okay. If all we need is to trust God, that's fantastic. But why then, 430 odd years later, does God turn around and give some rules? If all we need to do is to trust God, why does God come along later and say, oh, and here's some instructions on how to live? Why did he give the Law to Israel? Well, Paul says to us over here that he gave it because of Transgressions. He gave it to Israel because of sin. Uh, Where's it over here? Why was the law given? Verse 19. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. You see, the law was never intended to make Israel good with God. That's not part of the contract. The contract with God and humanity is right back at the beginning with Abraham, where God says, I'm going to do some stuff, I'm going to bless you, and Abraham says, yes, I trust you. That's how you get right with God. The law was never meant to be an alternative way to get right with God. What the law does, however, 430 years later, God comes and says, okay, I want you to know something about your condition. I want you to know something about who I am, something about who you are. This isn't about making you right with me. This is just you realizing how far you are from me and how you cannot do anything by yourself to get into my good books. So he gives the law and and the Israelites look at that and they go, Man, I am messed up. Isn't it incredible when somebody tells you not to do something? Please don't. Don't think about blue elephants. Stop it. Seriously, don't think about a blue elephant. Keith, I told you not to. (coughs) It's a stupid example, isn't it? But that's what the law does. Have a look. Can you put Romans 3 up for us, Bella? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, says Paul in Romans. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And have a look what Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 7. Paul says, Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Uh, Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So what does the law come and do? The law comes and says, by the way, just in case you didn't know, uh, you're not supposed to covet. And Paul says, oh gosh, I'm so glad you told me that because right now I want some stuff. The law removes our excuses. It makes us realize that there is nothing that we can do to get into God's good books. It shows us the gulf between us and God. It doesn't give us life. It shows us that we are dead or dying. God promises to, to bless those, which I, I think to means to give life to those who put their trust in Him. In the last uh, bit of uh, Galatians chapter 3, which we saw last time, Uh, Paul identifies the blessing of God with the Holy Spirit. God living with us. God promises to live with us when we trust Him, but, but then God gives a law which shows how we cannot live with Him because we're messed up. Doesn't that, says Paul, seeing where the argument is going, doesn't that prove that the promise of God contradicts or opposes or stands against the law of God. Well, no. No, says Paul. If, if God had given a law that could have given us life, we would be right with God. That's verse 21 of Galatians chapter 3. The problem is not with God's law, the problem is with us, that we are prisoners of Sin that we are as good as dead. We are infected by sin and there is nothing that we can do, no amount of hard work that we can do, that can undo that infection, that can heal that infection. The law highlights our infection. It's like, a, a, I don't know if any of you have ever gone and had a, a, a CT scan or one of those things. Uh, sometimes they just put the CT scan machine over you and they take a it 's a horrible noise picture of you. Other times they take a, a, a dye basically it 's made of crushed up iodine or something, and they inject it into you and it provides contrast so that when they take the photo, everything shows up more clearly and they can see where you 're broken that 's what the law is. The law is like an iodine injection that shows up more clearly just how messed up we are. The law has got some other benefits. It might help to alleviate some of the symptoms of how messed up we are. If you ask Phil, I, I bet he will tell you that people drive... A lot better when they see a police car behind them. The presence of the law does affect how you drive. The presence of the law can affect the symptoms of who we are, but the truth is, when the law isn't present, people still speed. And the truth is, is that although the law can affect some symptoms, it doesn't actually deal with the problem within us. It can't. We, we are dying. The law cannot make us alive again. We are broken beyond repair. And so in verse 23 to 25, Paul speaks about the law as, as a kind of guardian over us. Anyone here had a governess when they were growing up <laughs> i don 't know there might be some really old people visiting today from two centuries ago. Does anyone remember um, Mary Poppins there we go Mary Poppins a governess she she was She was a nice governess in the end wasn 't she she was floating down umbrellas, but she was strict. If you have your medicine, you have your medicine. Paul, in verses 23 onwards, speaks about the law as a kind of governess. It's actually properly a tutor that he speaks of, or a guardian. In Paul's day, this is a special word for a slave who had responsibility for making sure that his master's son was brought up properly. He would escort him to school. If there was any discipline to be done, this guy would do the disciplining. Apparently, all the pictures, most of the pictures that we have of such people, they are depicted with a rod in their hand because they were not nice people. They they, they beat good sense into the Master's Son. Paul says that's a little bit what the law is like. The law was meant to keep us in line until the problem within us, until the problem of sin, until the dying within us was dealt with. We change the analogy just a little bit. The law is a little bit like a strict ward nurse. You know, again, from the 1960s, that image of the very strict Nurse in charge of the ward who would tell everyone what to do, make sure everything is done right, and if you are visiting in the wrong hours, woo, you will know all about it. The strict ward nurse is the law who is trying very hard to keep us in quarantine because the sin in us is is in infe- well, it's, it's infectious. It hurts others, it hurts ourselves. It breaks relationships with each other and with God. And the law comes and and, and tries its very best to keep us going until the day the antidote to the infection arrives. Until the time when God's promises are brought to fulfillment. So in other words, Paul's big question there was, is the law opposed to God's promise? Did God say uh, way back when, okay, all you need to do is trust me. Oh, and then by the way, you need to do something else. He says, well, no, of course it's not. Here it is. God says, all you need to do is trust me. And the law comes and says, and you guys need to know how desperately you need to trust me. You need to know that without me, you cannot do this on your own. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you this law to watch over you a little bit until the time when I come and deal with the problem, because the problem is one that you cannot deal with. You cannot deal with the problem yourself. You are broken beyond your ability to repair. The law wasn't an amendment to God's promise to Abraham. It wasn't God saying, oh, I forgot that little bit about, you know, you have to tick this box and tick that box and do this and do that and do that. No, no, no. God's promise is God's promise. God's contract is if you trust me, I'm going to rescue you. But then God comes along and says, and let me show you how much you need to trust me. You know what? We need to trust God. If the law wasn't there, I would not know how desperately I need to trust God. And I wouldn't. If I think that I'm going okay, why would I? But the law was never meant to be something permanent. The law was always meant to be temporary until God's promise to Abraham came true. Until verse 19, listen to what what Paul says. Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Until the seed of Abraham, verse, verse 16 Over there it says God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather it says to his child. And says Paul that child of course means Christ. You see when Jesus came. Verse 22 everything changes. We receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. The whole point of God's law was to make us realize how much we needed to trust in God's promise. Okay, we need to trust God, but why why does trusting Jesus mean that we are inheritors of all that God has promised? Why does it mean that we are right with God? This is where Paul ties things together so beautifully. You know, I said right at the start, we have to go way back to the start where God said, I'm going to do some amazing stuff, will you trust me? And, and, and we said, that's what we need to do. If we want to be right with God, we have to trust him. Paul says, okay, that's, that, that's good, that's where we need to start. But what you need to understand is that even way back there, it wasn't about Abraham. It was about Jesus. It was about what God was going to do. And it was about God who was going to come into this world to rescue us. God's promises have always been about Jesus. Jesus is the true descendant of Abraham. He is Abraham's only true descendant. Jesus is the only one who pleases God absolutely. In fact, if you look at the story of Abraham, Abraham messed up all the time. Jesus, on the other hand, never did. Jesus is the one who is perfectly right with God. Jesus is able to say, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are good. We we are perfectly right with each other. Jesus is the one who is faithful, who trusts God absolutely, who is able to say on the night of his death, Father, not what I want, on the night before his death, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus is the one who could have called down legions of angels to rescue him, but said, no, I'm going to trust that my Father is going to raise me to life again. Jesus is the one who said, I have been given authority by the Father to lay down my life and to take it up again. I have that authority, says Jesus. I trust my Father, absolutely. Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus is the one through whom the whole world is blessed. Jesus is the one who comes and says, If you trust me, then you can be saved. You can live with me. I will give you my spirit to come and live with you. And where I am, there is life. Do you want to know why people die? It's because sin separates us from God. Jesus comes and says, I will bless you by coming to you and dealing with the sin and taking it away. Every blessing, every one of God's promises, right back. From the very get-go when God says, I am going to do something. I am going to break into this world. I am going to rescue. I am going to save. I am going to bless you. I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you my spirit. Right there, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, the start of history of God dealing with his people. Right there, God says, I am going to do it. And actually, Paul says, all of that is always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Have a listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, and I don't know what the translation up there says, but he says, every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. So you go back, way back when, to God's first promise, the overarching promise for which everything else rests. God says, I'm going to bless you. I promise it. Do you know where the yes is? yes is in Jesus. Every promise finds its yes in Jesus because Jesus is the true heir of God's promises. When we put our trust in him, with, with, when we trust him with all that we are and we signify that by a baptism, when we are united with him, we trust him and he gives us himself. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus, are yes to Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus, who has been blessed by God with everything, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, comes and says, if you trust me, I give myself to you. Jesus, who comes in the Sermon on the Mount and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Any one of you can be blessed if you come to me. We share in Abraham's blessing, we share in God's presence and spirit and life with us. Not because, not because God made promises to us, but because God made promises about blessing the whole world through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is not a book about us. The story of the Bible, the story of history is not about me. It's not about all the promises that God has made to me. It's about all the promises that God has made to Jesus and about God saying, if you trust me, then you can be part of that. You can be united with Jesus. Everything that God promises to me is promised to me in Christ, in Jesus. Without Jesus, I can do nothing. Without Jesus, I'm left sitting there with the law going, I'm useless, I'm broken, God, God, I cannot do what you want me to do. It all comes back to Jesus, who adopts us into his family. We, 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 we put on faith like, like we put on our clothes, we, we clothe ourselves with Jesus, we, we share in his inheritance. The promises are not made to us, the promises are made to Jesus. The good news says that the kingdom of heaven is near and that Jesus wants us to be his. As far as being right with God goes, Jesus is right with God. And if we are linked with him, then we are right with God as well. And this just does away with all divisions, doesn't it? If the promises are not about me and my clan and my grouping and my colour and my gender and my whatever, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so if I'm connected to Jesus, then... And you're connected to Jesus and someone in Somalia is connected to Jesus, someone in China is connected to Jesus, and a woman is connected to Jesus, and they're all united with Him, then what barriers are there anymore between us? We have been made one in Christ. In other words, there are no pluses that matter anymore. Because really, the pluses never ever did matter. You can try and shoehorn pluses into a contract saying, oh, you know, God said, just trust him, but you also have to do this, and you also have to do this, and you also have to do this. Mark, do you have a a house contract? A home loan? Fantastic. Now, Margaret, in order for you to be a a good Christian, you need to pay extra on Mark's home loan. In fact, all of you... If you want to stay in this church, you have to pay Mark's home loan off. (laughs) I should have used myself as, as an example. You do have to barrack for the dockers as well. The problem is, the contract between Mark and the bank is between Mark and the bank. It's not between us. And so for me to come along and say, let's add something into that contract, it's not my contract to add something into. The promise is to Jesus. I can't say, Jesus, I'm going to do some extra hard work so that you get what God promised you. That's not how it works. The point is, God has made these promises, the heir of Abraham the one to whom the promises were ultimately made through whom they were fulfilled is Jesus and all that I have to do is trust him what I do doesn't affect the fact that Jesus is right with God the only thing that I can do is say Jesus I am not will you take me and the good news is that Jesus looks at me and he says no you're not You're not right, but I am, and I want you in my family. God's made some promises to me that he will bless the whole world through me, and I take you into my family, and I'm going to bless you. Jesus isn't God's plan B. It's not as if God started out with the law and said, okay, as long as we get people to do the right things, then they'll finally get better and better and better until they are perfect. That that was never the whole point of the law. We've seen that. Jesus is God's plan A, right from the get-go with Abraham. And the law has served its role. The law was meant to point us to how much we need Jesus. The law kept us in protective custody. If you're in protective custody because someone is out to kill you, and then that someone is arrested and dealt with, why would you stay in protective custody? You wouldn't, would you? Jesus says, I want to bless you. Will you trust me? Forget about all those things that you think you have to do to get right with God. You can't. I am right with God. God has made some promises to me, says Jesus. In effect, that's what this is all about. God has made promises to Jesus. We weary ourselves out with trying to be good enough. Trying to pay off somebody else's home loan. When all that Jesus says is, Just trust me. Trust me. Friend.